Episode 7 Jason Leigh Howden Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Creative Credit, a show dedicated to conversations with talent from across the comic book industry. Artists, writers, inkers, letterers, colorists, and so much more. I'm your host, Chad Bogleman. In this, our seventh episode, I'll be conversing with Jason Leigh Howden, a man whose credits are as long as his IMDb page, but you'll probably best know him as a writer and director. Jason is both the writer and director on 2015's independent horror metal film Deathgasm and 2020's comedy action film featuring Daniel Radcliffe and Samara Weaving in Guns Akimbo. Soon, however, you'll have the privilege of reading his first ever comic book work in Monsters of Metal. That is, if you run to your local comic book shop right now and tell them that you want to order it. Monsters of Metal is being released by the comic book publishing arm of Incendium Online known as Opus Comics. Opus is an indie publisher putting out several metal-related comics as well as fantastic series like the recent Bill and Ted Roll the Dice and Evanescence Echoes from the Void both of which I'm currently subscribed to via my own preferred comic shop. Jason's R-rated Monsters mockumentary features horror icons such as Frankenstein's Monster, His Bride, The Werewolf, Medusa, and Jack O'Lantern as they take their ragtag metal band on tour, leaning into their looks as they experience this chapter of their immortality in the public eye. So without further ado, I present to you... My conversation with Jason Leigh Howden. And on the line now, we have Jason Leigh Howden, a film compositor, rotoscope artist, VFX artist, writer, and director. And now Jason is writing his first comic book called Monsters of Metal, published by Opus Comics and releasing in October. Jason, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chad. Hey man, I, I I really appreciate you. You know, I was I, I go through every week, I go through the pre or every month I go through the previews catalog and post about the things that interest me. And uh, I posted about Monsters of Metal and you saw that and reached out and I, I really thank you for doing that. That's uh that's really cool of you. No, thank you. I mean it's like it's it's a project that we've been really passionate about and and you know, I can't wait for people to see it i think it's really going to blow people away and we're already um i'm not sure if you saw like we just released it there was a press release on on deadline that we're actually looking at the um you know making a, a movie adaptation of the comic already so it's um yeah it's exciting absolutely we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later but i, I do want to go back to a bit of origins and and i watched a bunch of old uh, interviews with you and stuff so we don't have to cover ground you've covered a billion times before but i know you grew up not being allowed to watch horror films and and listening to like 1950s music with your mom <laughs> 
But then one day you'd encountered the forbidden fruit in uh, Peter Jackson's Bad Taste, and then later discovered Cannibal Corpse with Tomb of the Mutilated. It seems like you've made a career out of loving absolutely everything you were denied growing up. So is it everything <laughs> you've dreamed it would be? Uh, I mean, it's great. You know, I think we're living in a, a time, you know, just, just being able to be a part of that community. Like, be, have, these things have their own communities. Like, when I was, people don't remember, because I'm from, around from when, before the internet was around. And it's just like, if you were into horror and metal, you were just like an outcast. Same with, like, um, video games to a certain extent were like, I think if you could be a little bit into video games, but if you were too much into video games, like it was sort of like looked down upon, like fantasy role playing, like all that stuff was really outsider. And now it's all pretty mainstream. Like if if you're into metal, there's a massive community there. If you're into horror, same, you know, I mean, it's it's really a great time. You know, I'm jealous of people these days to have um, you know, whatever you love, there's a place for you in the world, which is which is great. But um back then I was I was very much like you know, me and a couple of friends, we were, you know, it was, we, we'd gone, I wasn't really during the satanic panic part. That was like more the earlier, you know, mid, mid eighties. Um, but, you know, there was definitely the tail end of that um, when I was a teenager. So if you had like, like me, I had like long hair and a deicide or um, Sepultura t-shirt, you know, you were like, oh shit, that's, you know, across the street to to pass that guy. <laughs> So you were basically the main character in Deathgasm as a kid. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's that's exactly where Deathgasm came from. It was like at first we were just wanting to do um like kind of an evil dead sort of thing. So we had the title first. And um I started me and a friend were sort of working on it. It was gonna be like, you know, that old Sega game Splatterhouse. Okay, and, gotcha. Um, you're like it's like a sort of a platform, sort of a 2D game where you just like a dude in a hockey mask splatting things. We were sort of like basing it on that a little bit. And um, then I sort of, a, a bit later, I came to the thing. It was like, what if like me in the 90s, like Metalhead Me was in an Evil Dead movie? And that's that's pretty much exactly what it is. <laughs> I, and, yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I watched it for the first time last week. Uh, uh, it, it was for free over on Vudu. I could watch oh, it. Oh, great. Yeah, so I, I, I pulled it up and I watched it and... Uh, Look, man, I didn't grow up watching horror or anything. I, as a kid, I was a little too scared. So, and I think I was too scared for too long. Yeah. Because there's that there's that safe point where like it becomes unscary for you, and it be just becomes fun. Maybe a little bit of scared, um, and then you just start appreciating the genre. But it never happened to me like that. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I'm watching it as an adult. I can see the the the, the just fun, the insanity, the the absolute gore fest. You know, like yeah. <laughs> uh the the sort of red paint blood splatter sort of stuff uh just ab absolutely awesome and i love i love the the wrapping around it's it's like man if i want to describe it to people at home it's like some some kids find a uh, a metal metal sheet music and play it and it's like a, a summoning spell <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was it was intense, man. I'm all I'm all for it. Uh, I I never I never actually personally got much into metal. I, I but I do appreciate the genre because I'm a huge rock and roll fan. And yeah, when I'm whenever I'm into something, I like to discover its origins and then where it splits off and what it becomes and all this other stuff. Um, but I I found myself actually really enjoying a lot of the music in that film. And I know you you sourced a lot of that yourself, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I. 
you know, um, I'm I'm terrible at like social media and marketing and all that stuff. I'm um, I try and stay away from it these days because I'm I'm just so shit at it. I um, but like when so so Death Gasm came apart as a part of this competition. So um, the, um, the winner got like two hundred thousand dollars to make a horror movie, basically, and um, and so I just was like. I was just going on Facebook and just like spamming everyone, like vote for this movie, vote for this movie. Like it's going to be a heavy metal horror movie. Like I was going onto like Metallica's pages and all these, um, you know, and, and a lot of people were like, you know, like, oh yeah, I'll give you a vote. And some people were like, you know, you're annoying. Like go away, you shouldn't <laughs> spam people. But I was just like, I was fiercely, you know, and I was like making friends and family, like repost the links. And, and so when it came to make, making the movie, I was doing the same thing. I was like, just emailing musicians and and you know like and then just trying to find links to like their email addresses or just like total stalker weirdo but because we had no money for the music and um I I just I you know I was like on the phone like calling Norway at, at like 3 a.m in the morning trying to like get a black metal band involved and getting told to piss off and um, but I, I, you know, I love the the soundtrack that we landed on because, like, obviously, when you see like a big budget heavy metal movie, you know, it's got it's got like the greats. You know, it's got Metallica, Pantera, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, and I, I love those bands and and you know, listen to them constantly. But I think what we landed on was something a little bit more underground and a little bit more like um, it sort of maybe suited the characters a little bit more. Um, you know, I, uh, and, and yeah, I'm incredibly proud of proud of the soundtrack. There's a, there's a, you know, I felt bad because I was saying to the bands, you know, I can't promise that anyone will watch this movie. You know, I'm not going to say, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, because I, I didn't get paid for Deathgasm either, but I, you know, I, I didn't want to say like, oh, do it for like um, exposure. I don't want to yeah. be that guy. I, I just want to be like, do it because you know you like horror and it's and it's fun like i don't want you to i don't want to like lead you on that you're going to be you know getting exposure from this because i can't honestly promise this and then you know some bands were just totally against and some bands were like cool you know i want to be a part of this and um and you know i i'm still in touch with some of the band members and like following their careers and it's um yeah i'm, I'm incredibly proud of like we've got a mixture of that sort of 80s you know, like Skullfist, um, you know, that, that sort of like 80s shred yeah. metal with like sort of, you know, really high sort of like vocals. And then we've got like, you know, grindcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black metal. I, I think one of my favorite bands, Emperor, who are like, in my opinion, the best black metal band um, ever. And um, I, I got two songs by them of um, my favorite album in the Nightside Eclipse. And that was just phenomenal. I used to listen to that on cassette tape constantly when I was a teenager. So that really was the bridge between like me now or me, you know, me when I shot the film and me when I was like, you know, 15, 16, like with my, you know, Sony Walkman. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, really happy that the way it came about. And I, I mean, like when I look back on it, you know, it's like, how do we do this? I don't even, it's, it's, I think it's that thing where you're like, you're too, uh, inexperienced and dumb to realize that you can't do it so you just do it <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean like I, I think if I had known more I would have been like this is a lot of hard work I'm just gonna like because I was, I was um, uh, a visual effects artist on The Hobbit at the time you know so I was earning like you know fairly fairly good money for like the time and just you know um, and you were putting in 80 hour weeks though how do you find time to do all that yeah um 
Well, I quit basically on the third <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> like, um, I was a little bit, I was a little bit burnt out, honestly, as well. Just seeing like it was the, and you know, I worked on all three Hobbit movies. I've actually got like I think three, two or three different credits in the first Hobbit movie because I worked at different companies in the same movie. And my my wife is like, it's like if you live in New Zealand, you have to work on the Hobbit. That's like a, a part of the thing. <laughs> um, and so. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm back doing visual effects now. It's like, it's always going to be there. And it was actually hard after Guns of Kimbo coming back to visual effects, um, just because I've been away from it for so long. But it's, you know, um, at, at the time, I just needed something different to do. And, and I guess I've been incredibly fortunate to like bounce between different things um, and like not end up um, homeless on the streets. I don't really understand how that happens. Um, but yeah, and, and like my, my, the latest thing working on the comic book, that's a whole new thing for me as well. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's flexing a few different creative muscles because it's like writing a screenplay, but it's also like writing a shot list. You know, like um, when you're making a film, you write a shot list first that you can sort of like go over with the DOP and it's got like, every single shot, every single angle. Um, and then you flesh that out into a storyboard. Some people don't use storyboards, but um, so basically like making a comic book is like, yeah, get, getting all this, um, getting the script and the dialogue on the same page as the shot list. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm using two different muscles, like creative muscles here. And it was, it was weird. And um, I'm still sort of getting used to it, but I, I think, yeah, I really, I, I think people enjoy it when they, when they, um, yeah, get to get to read it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it's interesting you talk about that because with Deathgasm and Guns Akimbo, at least like you can, you know, you're there during filming, you can see how it's panning out, you're behind the camera checking it out sometimes. With the comic, it's got to be very interesting because you're breaking down the story, the script, the storyboard in some ways. And and I'm gonna butcher the last name, so I don't want to do it. The interior artist for Monsters of Metal, it, Louis, what Louis, what's his name? Um, I haven't actually met him, um, so I'm gonna have to <laughs> go okay, that as okay. well. Um, uh, Guar Guaraga something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I forgive me if I'm butchering his name, folks, but um, great, great stuff. I also saw a, a ton of covers by Ryan Christensen, which. I'm absolutely getting that Bride of Frankenstein cover. That's all me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting, circling back, it's interesting because you're giving the script and then they're coming up with the art. So you're there's there's a bit of a detachment between you seeing the vision of what you've written come to life. What is that like for you? Um, honestly, it's been amazing um, um, because, you know, um, Lewis is just incredible, incredibly talented. Like, so seeing... Um, of, of, um, you know, just get it getting sense like um, his his you know interpretation of what I've written, the camera angles I've, I've described. Like I, I used to draw a lot. I um and and I, I it's one of those things that I just stopped drawing at one point and now can hardly draw a, a stick figure. Um, it's just one of those things that you've got to keep doing. Um, yeah, for sure. Same as anything, like same as anything in life, like writing and you know. I think that's why directing is one of the hardest jobs because like, unless you're like, um, you know, like incredibly prolific, like working on TV or something, most directors, you know, work every few years and you have to like learn to do it again. But yeah, so, sorry, a tangent, but um, yeah, it's actually been amazing. Like there's certain times where I look at a panel and I'm like, oh, I would have done this a little bit differently. And I sort of chat about it and 
um, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, as, as someone that doesn't um, draw anymore, seeing these amazing illustrations of, of like these characters of, of and angles, it just, it's just, it blows me away. Um, and so it's just like, and then, and then when I go and like, I share like parts of the comic book, it's like, Hey, this is my comic book. And, and, and some, you know, I, I try and always say I wrote it and like, um, Louis like did the, um, uh, did the art, but then like, sometimes some people don't read that and like, Oh my God, you drew this as well. That's amazing. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could take credit for that, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't wait for people to check it out, and 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 it's um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now I listed off a bunch of of your previous roles. You talk about you know you you just got to do something to stay proficient at it. You've been doing this since high school, so like just just in this industry, uh, whether it be rotoscoping or film compositing or or whatever. And and these roles, by the way, for the folks listening at home, I know not everybody knows the details of what each of those jobs entails. So to sort of give people a kind of picture into what that is, how do you feel all of your roles in in in, in compositing and rotoscoping helped prepare you for directing? And and what did you learn on those projects that helped you become a better director? Well, it's it's interesting because visual effects is so um, omnipotent now. Omnipresent, I mean. It's just like everything you watch like a, a rom-com based in seattle and like there was visual effects everywhere you know it didn't used to be the case you just go to get get a camera out and just like film it but it's just everywhere now so i think having a visual effects background you know it, it helps when you know you can see places where you can like um you know maybe save a bit of money from doing something a bit differently or where you know when you're like compositing and you're like damn if they just hadn't have lit this like that it would have been like so much easier composite shots. It's going to take me like another like few days now because like, you know, they could have done really, something really simple. And, um, uh, you know, there is that. I mean, I also um, have like, you know, there's a visual effects um, supervisor on set. So there was a lot of like, that's kind of their job. And, and also as even though I was like getting involved and stuff, I was, you know, trying not to um, step on their toes a lot, yeah. you know, on set and like do their job for them and tell them how to do their job because it's, you know, unprofessional, but, um, you know, um, and, and also they're much better at it than me. Um, but I think, you know, like compositing is a weird one because it's a, it's a combination of like the best compositors are people that can be like both highly organized, highly technical and highly artistic you know, like there's, there's, and, and highly, you know, like, you know, mathematical as well, um, you know, good at like scripting and, and programming and, um, you know, which I'm, I'm not good at a few of those things, but, um, and, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're looking at the real world and you're saying, how can I make this CG look like the real world? How can I fool the viewer into thinking that this is, all in front of their eyes and um you know like ha having like an artistic background or like a background in photography or filmmaking definitely helps you know a lot of a lot of um compositors um in their spare time uh do like you know camera work or um filmmaking or you know there's a lot of like composition there's, there's so many like transferable skills um but yeah i mean it definitely does help and it, it, the main thing that sort of helped is just like keep me 
from being on the streets, honestly, because I, <laughs> I sort of I went into the industry wanting to be a director. I went I did film school in like 2004 or five, and like every single person there wanted to be a director. And um that's just you can't all be the director because <laughs> someone needs yeah. to hold the boom mic and someone needs to do this. So um you know, and I sort of like filmed, I shot a, I shot a short film. Um, this is like, you know, mid um, 2000s, just when HD was sort of coming in. And I shot a shot a, um, a short film on, I think it might have just been 720 even. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't great, uh, great digital camera, but it was good enough. Um, and I shot it all, but I didn't have the money to do the visual effects. So I taught myself uh, how to do the visual effects, basically just tutorials and, um, which is also like, you know, I'm being self-taught as it sort of um, disadvantages as well. There's so many people now that their career in visual effects starts at a tertiary, you know, education place, like, you know, a, a, um, a place where they study visual effects, you know, and um, which is, or animation, or, you know, there's so many places where they can learn that now. And I never had any of that. Um, it's just all me looking at tutorials like I once um my my first visual effects job was at Weta um it wasn't the film division it was the tv division it was a kids tv show called the what what's <laughs> and um I, I knew how we use after effects which um uh people don't know it's like a it's a compositing program that's more for like motion graphics but you can do you know compositing on it um but like I went in there and they used this um program that no one uses anymore called combustion and like um the guy's like, oh yeah, I guess you know, have you used combustion? And I'm like, Yeah, you know, I use it all the time. You know, I've never used it before. And he's like, Oh, yeah, it started on Monday. And so like the whole weekend, <laughs> I just crammed, just like trying to learn how to use this program. And there's so many cases in my life where um I've just um, you know, just once I've been dishonest, but just like, you know bitten off more than I can chew and just said well you know like the worst that you can do is you can just make a fool of yourself be highly embarrassing and they'll fire you but you know maybe you'll get paid that day <laughs> you know I was I was so poor at the time I was working minimum wage at a video shop like I I'd um I'd like turn my engine off at the top of a hill to just roll my car down because I, I couldn't afford petrol um and so like I was you know, I was like, okay, if I can last one day, I'll get, they'll have to give me a few hundred bucks, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, I've been sort of, it's just a mixture of like luck and just being in the right place at the right time. And just, yeah. Um, I mean, yes, but say what, say what you will about the detriments of being self-taught, but there is something to be said for experience, aptitude, passion, so on and so forth. I mean, even with podcasting for me personally, uh, I know you're aware of this show, but uh, I also co-host a podcast about the DC comic book character Green Lantern that's been on the air. That podcast has been on the air 14 years. And oh, amazing. When I, yeah, when I inherited it, uh, I, I was a co-host for a little while, but when when myself and my co-host that now uh, uh, inherited that show, I didn't know anything about audio editing. But yeah. I liked doing the podcasts and, you know, now I'm self-taught audacity and oh, hosting great. and all that stuff. So like, it's all, it's, it's, it's all kinds of, it's all kinds of fun and experience. And, and I think, you know, honestly, based on what you just said, I, I actually have to admit, man, I, 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 adm I admire you for, for doing, um, the work that you have done in the past up until you got to get Deathgasm and, and Guns Akimbo and, being able to realize that you needed to take a step back a little bit and not 
you know, step on people's toes, as you said, because with any creative endeavor, and I've been there myself, not obviously to the level of like a, a film, but anything creative that pops in your mind, you have such a specific vision for it. And the idea that you have the experience level you do with every minute detail of the visual side of it, the compositing and all that stuff, the idea that you <laughs> stepped away enough to not step on those people's toes and go, look, here's how I see it in this role and in this role and in this role and telling everybody how to do their jobs. Hey man, props to you because I would have struggled with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's to, my both films I've made. I've um, the, the secret to, um, you know, um, anything good on them it happened because I, um, chose people that were a lot more talented and smarter than me. <laughs> that's 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 my secret. It's like if if you you know I, I I don't want to like, you know, I mean you get pe you you employ people, you know because um you know you you love their work you know and I think it's um, I think that's when you like get into trouble is like if if you employ someone like and and they you know um and then you want to like tell them to do their job and it's like. You know, you you do it because you know you love their work and you want to collaborate. And and you know, there's different types of directing. And you know, some of the best directors are like screamy assholes. Like, have you have you watched that like um series um movies that made us on Netflix? Uh, it's like there's the toys that made us as well. I think it's I've the seen same the toys people. that made yeah. us because I'm I'm a huge teen, like anybody Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I would definitely oh, watch same. that that episode. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was, um, it's interesting, like every single like Paul Verhoeven and all, all these directors are just like the biggest assholes. And it's like, oh, you know, like I love it, like James Cameron. And I'm not like saying they're bad people and I'm not slagging them off. I mean, like, um, uh, you know, and I, I'm like, if James Cameron can make the sort of films he makes and be a complete asshole, then like, you know, I think we should just let him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people, I mean, yeah, no, I'm sort of like joking. And also like things are, things have changed like that sort of workplace assholery isn't as tolerated these days and i'm actually like really glad about that you know i think it's um oh 100 there's a difference between workplace assholery versus like in following regular chain of command in any project exactly versus yes. being a personal asshole and detrimental to a specific individual yeah and and you're definitely right and um and and it's it's you know very like important to I don't know. I, I think one thing is I, I've got a director friend that uh, messaged me the other day and he's shooting this film. He's like, oh, dude, it's so lonely. I'm like, yeah, it's it's the loneliest job on set because like, you know, uh, like most people, you go into a, like a team situation and you want to be liked. You want like to, you know, um, have fun. You want to make friends and you want to like, you know, have a beer with people. But you're like kind of the boss as well. And you and know, the project's got to get done to the way that it, yeah. it, it it sits in somebody's head, whether it be yours or the writer or whoever. And it's also got to make money at the end of the day, in some cases, right? So exactly, and 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 as much as you know, you want to be people's friends, and like you know, people sometimes want to have a beer and like bitch about the boss or like be like, you know, you know, it's so it's a hard role. Every other role, like you know, art department or sound department, they've all got like their teams, and like you know, they're really close. It's like a family to their teams, and then you're like you're sitting there and and you know you've got like a few assistants but it's a yeah it's it's a, it's a really lonely role um which is you know which i struggle with and i you know i mean i'm really comfortable in visual effects like being being like just the guy that like oh you do this okay and i just do it 
and then they say, oh, that's good, or uh, no, that sucks, it needs to be better, you know, and it's it's sort of like a little bit more binary and a little bit more like, okay, cool. And then I and then I get to like log off, because I'm working from home, so I get to log off my computer and just like, you know, I don't take it home with me, whereas when I was like directing, I was like, I couldn't sleep because I was running through all the, the places that I fucked up in my head. Oh, oh sorry, I blinked that up. It's a, no, you're fine. Screen. We can't okay, on sorry. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, speaking a little bit to your VS, VFX work, I'm, I'm actually going to read you a couple of headlines I found online. So from Gizmodo, uh, abuse of VFX artist is ruining the movies. Uh, from The Guardian, <laughs> bullying is a problem. Visual effects artists speak out. Now, keeping in mind that I'm actually not asking you to comment on a specific previous project or employee, what can you say about the demands of the vfx role in filmmaking from your perspective oh it's it's hard um you know and there are some workplaces that are like you know um you know the employ the current employers i'm working for i've been working for them off and on since like i think 2011 my first film with them was um ghost rider 2 which i mean I, a lot of people like whatever you have to say about that film it was like one of my favorite jobs. <laughs> I loved doing because um, it was all fire. And but the, but this yeah, company, it's like a VFX artist wet dream. <laughs> it's so good. It's like great. <laughs> like I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan, and and also like I, I so as an X Men kid, I and I only really used to like go out of the X Men comics when there was a crossover, which was um. So I'd like you know when there was a big like um uh crossover with like the Avengers and Spider Man and X Men, I'd like flake those comics, but um. But Ghost Rider was one of the few ones that I'd like just I just pick up like I could sort of like get into Ghost Rider comics without uh you know having to know too much about the Laura team. But anyway, um yeah, uh, sorry, back to the the company. Like incredibly great people to work with, very family friendly. Like I've I've got a young kid now, and it's like they they're like you know they know people want to be out the door at like six o'clock um, and. You know, so like if there is like overtime to be had, they're incredibly like, you know, um good about that. And it's not seen it's not like um whereas some companies you go to, it's sort of like, oh yeah, so um, you know, uh you know, you'll be here to one tonight, right? You know, it's like, oh what? Uh, <laughs> um and so, you know, um I think also of like those hours, it's such a it's a younger person's game. Like I'm I'm you know my early forties now, and you know when I was like younger, when I was studying under visual effects, like it was you know it wasn't odd for people just to like work until daylight hours. You know, I've uh, definitely done that many times, and then just like you know you'd come to work, um, there'd be people sleeping under their desks, you know, and um, I mean you know. I don't think that's great. <laughs> yeah, back I don't think that's really... weeks on Harvard films, right? Oh, dude, I had a friend doing like who was over a hundred hours a week, oh, and wow. he but he was making so much money. Like, um, there was that earthquake in Christchurch at the time, and he like donated like he was just working so much. He donated like ten thousand dollars of his own money to the earthquake victims just because like that's um, awesome. and I'm like, yeah, it was great, but I'm like, dude, just have a sleep, you know? It's it's crazy and um yeah so i don't like that part of it there is also like it used to be like very much a boys club and you know um the the office atmosphere was very different in the 2000s than it is now and like that's that's one of those things that like i feel a little bit of conflict for like i'm glad it's like that honestly you know because i'm 
as someone that experienced bullying at school, um, I think like bullying in the workplace does happen. I've seen it happen and it's awful, man. Like, you know, no one should be bullied. Like, um, and especially like, no one should be bullied at school even, but like, you know, kids are kids um, and their brains have developed properly. But when you're adults, no one should be bullied at work. And, and you know, it can be as, and like me and my workmates, it, you know, it was mainly a male oriented industry there. There was like that sort of like boys club, like inappropriate humor, um, you know, and I'm, I've always been a fan of black comedy, you know, like, um, you know, I grew up with like a lot of British black comedy, um, so I probably do have like a, a fairly inappropriate sense of humor, but at the same time, that's like there's people that don't and they don't want to be inflicted <laughs> with that at work. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of my the workplaces I worked at was uh, was all over the news. It was investigated for like you know um, sexual harassment and you know it's just it's vile, you know. And um, uh, you know, I I honestly like that's one of those things that you know if, if i see something going on in a film i'm working on especially if i'm like directing or something i'm i'm the person that speaks up and like i you know like get in touch with the producers and like this isn't cool you know we need to provide a safe environment for everyone it's it's um yeah but those are the main issues i think it's changed for the better in most places but like it's still it still goes on and it's it's sort of like it's important to have like a sense of humor and it's important to like, you know, yeah, but there's a line and that line does change as well. It's, it's one of those things that changes of generations and, you know, yeah, a hundred percent. And speaking to what you were speaking to earlier about, you know, making sure you get the best performance out of everybody on set, you know, if somebody's feeling particularly bullied or overworked or whatever, you're not going to get that person's best performance and then the end project suffers. So, yeah. And just like, I don't know, like I've, um, you know, been like just, just really, especially over the last few years, like um, there's just been so many events and, you know, I've sort of looked back at a lot of my life and um, I went to boarding school and there was like this um, expose recently about bullying in boarding schools. And I sort of, I it sort of triggered a lot of memories and I've actually been sort of writing about it at the moment. And I'm like, man, this is like, it sort of gets normalized. And then when someone actually mentions what people went through in boarding school, like, you know, in the nineties and before that, I'm like, this isn't cool. This is actually like really <laughs> gross that we went through this and it was normalized. And, and so like a lot of, um, yeah, this isn't a fun little memory from childhood. This is no, actual trauma. It's, it's trauma. <laughs> I've been, and, and, you know, I think, I think one of the things that I sort of discovered recently, I've, I've been um, uh, doing this like sort of um, uh, uh, seeing a clinical psychologist doing this form of um, regression counseling. And one of the things that I sort of discovered about myself is it's like the moments where I was like bullied or victimized aren't the, aren't the moments that I um, like, you know, are traumatized by. It's the moments where you become a part of the pack, you know, and you sort of like, I sort of wrote this story about like how it's, it's, um, I likened bullying into as like horror tropes, like a vampire or a zombie. You get bitten by the vampire and you become a vampire. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly, you know, troubling to me, like that, that idea of like, you know, um, the victim cycle. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've been very aware of now and just sort of like writing about and, and yeah, it's, yeah, victim, it's um, victim cycle and, and like viral behavior, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like social media as well, which I used to be, I used to be that guy in social media always getting into flame wars <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it's, um, 
yeah it's very easy to get misconstrued or get like or or to misspeak in a tweet which 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 i did as well um you know a few years ago and, and i'm pretty embarrassed about and it's um you know i think people that look into it will understand why that that occurred but it's like um it's not like the old days where if you had a beef with someone it was in person you know and i i'm a pre-internet person so you know if, if someone had a beef it was like to your face and you've got to be prepared to like you know deal with that and nowadays you can just like you know you can say and you know awful things about someone hundreds of miles away thousands of miles away and it's i don't think it's incredibly good for our you know collective um psyche you know i think it's no. it's um a lot of people like um you know i've talked to therapists therapists and psychologists and um psychiatrists who are like we're seeing so many people that are just like you know that they're here because of like either using a lot of social media or or um they're like um you know being bullied online or um yeah it's a it's a i don't know it's a crazy world but yeah but i went back to your i guess it started off as visual effects and went off on a tangent but um <laughs> it's fine you know i sort of think it's it's one of those things that's across the board wherever you are in life you know you need to um you need to respect others you deserve to be respected and um you know uh people that love like you know sort of bad taste comedy and horror and metal and people like me there's definitely still a place for us but um uh yeah it, it is like there, there is a line to it and and it is sort of changing and it's um fluid and um yeah no for sure so we were talking uh, a minute ago when you were mentioning your fandom of ghost rider the comics before uh i have to ask man with your experience in this industry, given the projects that you've worked on have been actually so heavily based in mediums that have existed prior to film. We're talking, you know, with Lord of the Rings, the fantasy element you've worked. Uh, if, 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 if uh, IMDb can be trusted on things like vampire hunter, Abraham Lincoln, we got yep. Avengers, <laughs> ghost rider, Wolverine, Legion, the TV show, Shang-Chi and the legend of yeah. Rings, like all the man of steel, I, I have to ask because it's trending in, in comic book fandom, especially what role do you think fans should play? If any, in a modern adaptation of their favorite franchise to film. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting because like they're a source material, which you can't adapt like, straight you know like you can't just take it from a comic book and i guess since city they sort of did that <laughs> so it can <laughs> it can sort of be done but um uh it's um most comic books are just so heavy in like lore and you know it's um and i think like they that's why they've been rebooted so much like i don't i haven't read like x-men recently or met many of the i sometimes i i get like some of the like you know the big um compendiums like so i can like just get them all done at once but like it's heavy it's heavy stuff and like trying to reduce that into a two-hour movie is, is hard and i think i think like one one way that it's been done correctly is like uh kevin feige i yeah. always call him feige but feige you know has come at it from like someone who's obviously a massive fan knows all the law um but also has um a really good mind for how to condense that and make it palatable and fun for people that don't uh you know 
and the really smart thing they did is like you know started off with like you know iron man then like they introduced more characters and then you know it was quite grounded at first and then you've got like gods running around in space and and like they they did it so gradually that it like just feels like natural now and now they can do anything with it um but yeah i mean as for like you know i, I don't really believe so much in like the um you know it's the whole whole saying like you know um you know a horse by committee is a camel you know like you've got like all these voices that said there are places like you see with the sonic the hedgehog um movie where the fans just like collectively said this is not sonic the hedgehog this is not better you do this better and they did it better and you're like you watch them like yeah they they that was the right choice you know um but i don't know like i i've been and it's hard, like what, and it's like, what medium do you take that for? Do you just like read comments on YouTube or Twitter and like, and sort of like, you know, not everyone is commenting. And sometimes people only comment when they don't like something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like when they like something, they don't comment, you know? So like, that's interesting. I'm actually talking to these guys, um, this like NFT platform that are like, you know, looking at this, um, it's it's like sort of like people buy nfts and it gives them uh, um you know sort of votes on on a story in a movie and like and how that story goes or like what like you know what costume do you like for a character what story beat do you like and i i actually think there's something like to be said for that that it's like that could be really cool i i you know instead of taking notes from um i've worked on so many things where um especially like video game adaptations where the source material is so clear and then you present it to a producer, an older producer that doesn't play video games and says, oh, this is bullshit. You're going to do it like this, you know? Yeah. And like, I'm like, uh, I, you know, it's like, um, they just don't know. And like, there's something to be said for, instead of like getting notes from a producer like that, getting notes from fans that actually know their shit. And, you know, um, as much as like filmmaking or, you know, any creative medium is, you know, there's like that, um, there's that auteur driven thing, which people like to talk about. It is like, at the end of the day, it's a business and you're there to, um, to make a product that appeals to as wide an audience as possible to make as much money as possible. And, you know, if that, if, if like we get to the point where the audience buys NFTs and they get a say in that, you know, process, then, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, like as, as just a audience member, I, I'd sign up for that. <laughs> like I'd, I'd be like, you know that that could be fun uh but then again at the same time if, if it's like a voting system of there's like four choices and then like your choice doesn't win out like are you gonna be pissed off and not watch it you know i mean i don't know yeah so yeah it's, it's 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 interesting yeah i think there's also some and it's not like a, i'm not trying to say for people listening at home i'm not trying to say i have a big head or I, i'm more knowledgeable about this than anyone i also think fans don't know what the hell they want no I mean, you know, it, it quite quite honestly, like like let's look. If you really want like grounded, ethereal Alan Moore's Swamp Thing type of comic books, don't go fucking looking in the DC crossover <laughs> event of the summer. Like that's intended to sell copies. That's not intended to be this artistic representation where it's not really marketed super heavy and the creative teams just doing whatever the hell they want and having fun. 
you you gotta you gotta pick and choose your battles you can't go to a marvel movie or a star wars movie and demand it be something yeah. else because that's not what it's designed for i, I get totally that you agree. feel passionate and ownership about it but like it's really not the space for it yeah i i totally agree and i think as someone that's like been on both sides of it, being like a you know, grown up massive fan, and then crossed over to when I am creating stuff. I I've got a policy of, and I, I do break it sometimes, so don't hold me to it. But I've got a policy of not shitting on things publicly or unless I'm asked. Like you know, I don't bring up in conversation. Like there was a thread at, um, at work about the new Lord of the Rings series, and you know, I, I just I, I'm like I'm the same. I'm like you know if it's not for you don't watch it like you're not i mean there's there's no reason to be toxic about it or bitch about it and you know i um you know i think like a lot of the marvel movies like i i i sort of like phased out after um uh the the, the thanos um uh, the end game i sort of like haven't watched as much after that because that was such a like a big thing and it's like hard to sort of like go back to it after that it's because where do they go now they can't really go bigger um but at the same time i don't i don't shit on them like you know um obviously fans have got like ideas about you know um she hulk who i never really read much she hulk i she was in fantastic four for a while wasn't she i believe so i see yeah remember I, her wearing the ff costume that's right i remember her from fantastic four which is probably kind of odd but like um so like i don't know i i you know, I, um, I haven't watched any of it. Like, um, I've, I've sort of seen people like talking about, I'm bitching about, I'm like, you know, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's like, and maybe it's, maybe it's not, um, yeah, I guess like after being a creative, it's really hard to say if something's bad or good. It sounds kind of weird. Like this whole, you know, and that's, I used to like, um, I've never been a film critic. I used to write um, reviews for video games though. Um, but, you know, it is very subjective and, you know, uh, a lot. Of, there's been a lot of talk about like the Lord of the Rings, and for someone who grew up, you know, reading Lord of the Rings and then working on Lord of the Rings, I'm like, you know, I have got my own opinions, and like a lot of it's about like di the diversity around it. Honestly, like I, I I watched the first few episodes, got like no problems. It didn't take me out of it at all. At all. I'm like, this is cool. I don't. Um, the, the characters that I um, it was actually like, uh, and I'm not I'm not gonna like bitch about the show. It was like. Um, you know, but but those those characters were actually some of the best, and I you know I I think for me it was just maybe the pacing. I actually the 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 way that I sort of like described it, someone who asked me my opinion about it was like, uh, I'm being that guy now. I I <laughs> I love I love Lord of the Rings because it was so camp. I've got to say, and like you know the, the Lord of the Rings, the first one opens and it's so like there's fireworks and like hugs, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Hobbits hugging dwarfs, and it's so just like laid back and like, and it does get dark, but there's always like, you know, that that joke like in the second movie, like, uh, don't toss it. Oh, it's in the first movie, I think. Like, uh, don't tell anyone you tossed a dwarf. You know, like, he, you know, there, there's all these, and I think that's what Peter Jackson did great. He like, he really like, you know, because the books are kind of camp as well. You know, especially the the Hobbit book is like so camp and i think like i i'm sort of glad that the series wasn't as camp as the hobbit because maybe that went a bit too camp but i don't know I, I i like things that have a liberty and and don't take themselves too seriously you know uh um i also love like dark gritty like art movies or like oh, dark gritty comics sometimes but 
I think like the success of like the Avengers movies um, or the Marvel cycle has been like adding um, a bit of levity to the characters, not taking it too seriously, like having a bit of a wink, you know, Spider-Man has a bit of a wink to the audience, you know, and, and I, I, I love that, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's something I struggle with too, because, you know, I told you about the, the Green Lantern podcast I do. I'm not a writer or an artist, but when we review the episode, the new issues of something that comes out, you can't help but being such a steeped fan in the lore and all of everything. But to review it from the perspective of continuity or anything else like that, and it's totally fine to feel, you know, one positively or negatively about a project. But you always feel like you're bashing uh, yeah. if you if you start, you know, criticizing something. But I do think the healthier option is if you like it, you like it. Uh, and if you don't, you don't go seek people out to shit on them because yeah. especially you as a director and all everything else that you've done in this industry, it's like, now you know how the sausage is made. So oh, man. Nobody, like, nobody sets out to make a movie or a comic book thinking, you know what? I'm going to shit on this property. It's going to be the worst project. No, you go in going, this is our creative vision. We saw it through to the best we can. We put it out there and here it goes. Yeah. And it's it's incredibly tough doing that. It's expo you're exposing like you 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 it's it's like having a baby. Like, you know, you're 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 putting that out into the world. And, you know, I think anyone that works on something, like, you know, um, there's a sense of like pride, you know, when like when a movie comes out and, you know, all those people that worked on like, you know, Rings of Power or whatever, you know, they're, they're all human beings that like put, you know, they're getting paid, but like they put a lot of effort in their life into it, you know, like people live, like people, they, they, they move away from their house and then they live like in a totally different like town to work on something for months and months and months and, you know, full relationships and bonds with people. And then like it comes out and everyone's like shitting on it. I'm like, you know, it's, I don't know, I, 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 I do think there's a place for healthy criticism. I respect, you know, I've read bad reviews for my movies that I'm like, some of them I'm like, well, you know, the things that, that take something away from the movie, you know, that they sort of read their own thing into it and dislike the movie because of that. Like there was, um, I got the only, the only criticism that hurt me on Deathgasm when like they, they said that this character was like um homophobic stereotype. And I'm like, that was like the character wasn't sort of written. He was like sort of like like sort of played it quite camp, and I just saw it in, in the audition. I'm like, dude, and it was just him. That was just who he was. And I'm like, and he's like, do you like the way I'm playing? I'm like, dude, do it. And that's that, that's how he was in real life as well. And it was just him. And like for, for someone to say like, oh, I'm a piece of shit for like making this character. Like, yeah, I don't know. That that was sort of like reading their own thing into it, and I was sort of hurt by that, but. You know, there, there's. I think there's a pl healthy place for, for for criticism of any medium, but um, when it gets toxic, like what happened with Ghostbusters, like uh, 2016 or whatever, and like when it gets to that point where people are bullied so hard, they have to leave social media, and like, oh yeah, it's just, it's just horrible. Like yeah. it's just it's just a movie, guys, and it just makes us all. It makes like um, you know, genre because you know Ghostbusters is a genre film after all. It's like you know. You know, we've got to remember that we're outsiders. We're like, you know, people, people that, you know, um, even though it is more mainstream to like, you know, nerdy things, we're still kind of outsiders compared to like most of like, it's when you go meet normal people and they don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> you realize, <laughs> oh, I, 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 you know, we're actually, we're, we're kind of weird and that's cool. We, um, we should embrace that and like, and yeah. Um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I just, 
speaking to very briefly because we don't need to go down that road because it's been talked to death i'm sure (laughs) but like people having to leave social media it's like especially i guess the prominent examples would be like star wars and stuff it's like Uh, you know people talking about whether it be the asian characters or or whatever and and it's just like even if you for whatever reason believe it's a diversity hire or something to that effect which we won't even acknowledge that but that person is an actor who got a dream job yeah, they, they didn't write the script. They 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 were cast. They they went through the process. That they 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 the team liked how they portrayed the character. They didn't write their own lines, and they got to go home to their family and went, "Holy shit, I've been cast in Star Wars." Yeah, how incredible and, was that? <laughs> yeah, and then to just yeah, it's whatever. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, I think just just to end your point, like I, I mean, I think like. You know, and and it's like everyone can say what should have been done from the sidelines. It's easy to be that person, but if like if any of us like got given that job, like go make a Star Wars film. Oh shit! Uh, what about this? And you like you have to make a decision at some point. You know, do you just tread through the other ones, or do you? You know, it's it's hard. It's hard with like anything, and like you know, they they they, you know, you you don't always hit a home run. <laughs> yes. Very few people. It's it's hard. Yeah, that's it's it's something that they, I think these fans uh, that get this way start. They forget is like you you believe that it should be a certain thing, A, B, C, or D. And here's the thing: if you got A, B, C, D, it'd be criticized of being cookie cutter. At yeah. some point, Star Wars, the first movie, was unlike something anything that had come before it. Was its own thing. Was wholly original, and it was a individuals vision come to life or a team of individuals and vision come to life and you loved it so stop trying to make that thing reproduce a billion times and let something new be added if you don't like it then i guess it's not part of your personal canon exactly (laughs) i'm I'm one of those person i'm I'm one of those people that still remember the ewoks movies and like consider them (laughs) canon like i I don't know i I love christmas special and all (laughs) no that's a bit too far uh (laughs) i've only seen like the only i've I've never actually sat and watched it i've just watched like red letter media just like um taking the piss out of it (laughs) that's the only (laughs) It's sort of like it's just sort of sometimes fun just to like uh, watch things make like what you know it's like um watching stuff with buddies almost but um yeah I don't know it's 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 hard and it's hard being a creative these days with the, with the the whole of the internet and you know every time I put something out I'm like you know are people gonna get this it's like every time I submit like a draft to a producer like is this you know um you know you just go at a certain point you just go by instinct and it's it's um you know not everything's going to be a winner and that's um you know it's it's uh but at the same time you know you got to try <laughs> yeah for sure you know and, and and that brings me to monsters of metal because everything i've asked and everything we've talked about getting your your history your personal fandoms your passions monsters of metal it seems like actually this project found the perfect home to start with it i know incendium has been a home for properties a lot of properties based on metal and now their comics publishing arm of opus is releasing this comic how how did this project come about was it something you had and then pitched to a bunch of places did they come to you how did this all work out no, so it was a, a concept that um, uh, Lexi Leon had. Um, so he, he's the head of um, Incendium, like fantastic guy and like total 
um, like myself, loves loves metal, um, loves horror. Um, I can't remember how we exactly met, but um, uh, I've known him for years and like um, uh, we've always sort of like um, kept in touch and talked about because when he, he started doing the Iron Maiden comics, which I love and and you know, like just getting in touch, like he's got such a um, big circle of all these like metal and rock guys and like, so it's just great like seeing someone like that you know, like really concentrating on on like um, doing, you know, creative, you know, comics based on, um, you know, rock and, and metal icons. And, um, and yeah, um, at, a sort of, at some point he like, he, he, um, he, he came to me with this idea um, and it was like, you know, this, these like, you know, the classic like monster mash monsters, but they're like this heavy metal band go. And um and so I think he sort of came up with the start of it, like the the, and he was like, you know, where does it go from there? And then I'm just like, okay, well I'll try and you know have a have a stab at it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think where we came to was was just a really fun place. Like I think um, one of my one of my favorite all time movies is Spinal Tap, which is like the Godfather of like The Office and and Parks and Rec and all these things. That all starts with Spinal Tap, like as a mockumentary. There might have been mockumentaries before that, but that was the one that basically started the genre. And the, you know, um, and so like I'm like, well, you know, there's been all these mockumentaries like about other things. Like, why don't we do a mockumentary, sort of a comic mockumentary about this monster metal band? And they've got this documentary crew following them around. So they're like talking to camera. And then um, it turned out to be just like a great device for like, because we've only, you know, it's a, it's um, it's this one-off um, comic. So you need to like get people to like, you need to introduce the characters in this really, you know, um, succinct way. And and how do you do that? Like in, in like 31 pages. And so, you know, we have them like talking to this imaginary documentary crew and and like you know breaking the fourth wall a lot. And it's just a great way to sort of get to the 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 um you know get to who they are. We use a lot of like um monster lore that people like know and love. Obviously, there's, there's so much that you know to be built on there. But basically, what what happens is like these um you know we've got like Frank, who's like you know Frankenstein's monster bride, um bride of Frankenstein. Jacko, the Jack-o'-lantern, uh, Midna, who's like Medusa, and then we've got like Wolfgang, who's the Wolfman, you know, they're, they're characters we all know and love. And they're like, basically like, they're all immortal. So they've been slumming it in like Count Dracula's castle for like, you know, years and years while, while Dracula's been asleep. And he wakes up just to hear this like music, this like heavy metal. He doesn't even know what heavy metal is. He's been asleep for like hundreds of years. And then, like, he realizes that, like, these his friends have like just gotten bored of being immortal, and they've formed a metal band, and they're like just they've trashed his practice space. I mean, they've they've turned his like banquet hall into a practice space, and they've got metal posters everywhere. And he basically turfs them out of um, of the castle, and they're in this like uh this like sort of like like Dragula sort of style um tour bus, and they're like, what do we do? Why don't we like tour? Why don't we like you know play metal music people and they're like well they're in this world where they're, they're secret from humans you know they're like well we can't because we're monsters you know humans will know who we are I'm like well so um they're like well you know why don't we just sort of pretend like it's you know like um ghost uh the band or slipknot or kiss you know 
we'll pretend it's like a costume thing. It's like a part of our shock rock persona. Yeah, it's, that we're it's, like, a, it's a gimmick, yeah. It's a gimmick, yeah. And like, we've got like comments from fans in the comment, like, oh my God, like I heard like Tom Zavini, like, um, you know, uh, designed that mask. It looks so real. And so like the the people in the human world don't know that the monsters, um, uh, apart from one and a rival band, um, and, and you know, I have to read the comics no more, but he, he realizes who they are. And so like, um he it's his job to try and unmask them because uh they're basically like the headliners now and like he wants the top spot at these festivals so it's a series um, not a one shot uh yeah well you know yeah um uh, um hopefully it's it is a one shot and we, we okay. do wrap up we wrap up the whole thing in like in one comic but like there's definitely you know if it's something that fans love there, there's definitely like room for um you know a wider series and places to go with the characters and um you know i gotta gotta tell you though jace i fucking love this pitch because you know what it reminds me of one of my favorite uh creative properties of all time is ann rice's interview with a vampire series yes it reminds me of the queen of the damned when lestat gets sick of being an immortal and goes fuck it i'm not keeping the secret anymore and forms a rock band yes i love that yeah, same, and very much inspired. I've actually never read the book, unfortunately, but um, I still remember the 2000 Queen of the Damned <laughs> yeah, movie. It's, with, it's um, a guilty pleasure movie for yeah, me, for sure. <laughs> with like Jonathan Davis and like Marilyn Manson on the soundtrack. Uh, it was a fuck of a soundtrack, though, man. I love that yeah, soundtrack. So I, I, I still listen to it, honestly. I, I'm like, I'm like a big like. I miss those like early like 2000s, like late 90s, like. When you like go to corn a movie, and stuff like oh yeah it's so good um and yeah but anyway yeah yeah no it's it's totally inspired by that um perhaps a little bit subconsciously but like i yeah d- definitely in the same vein of like you know you've got these immortal creatures like you know why why would what would they, what would you do if you're immortal like at a certain point you've got to like either turn into like a serial killer or like a rocker or like you've got to like do something weird right i mean you're not just gonna like sit there and do a day job as, as an immortal yeah, I mean, everybody, even in a normal human existence, dreams of their 15 minutes of fame, right? If you're an immortal, at some point, you're going to have to actually have your 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it's hard because, you know, and there is like a, yeah. Um, so there are definitely great parallels there. But like, you know, I've never actually done much with like, you know, written much with classic monsters in mind. And so like I... You know, I, I love um I love like reading like Lovecraft and stuff, how it's always like Lovecraft it was never just like a vampire, it was like some tentacled flesh monster from like the ninth <laughs> dimension, which I kind of love. But then at the same time, I'm like, it's really fun just playing with these classic characters and not trying to totally reinvent the lore, but like um, you know, just just trying to play, use the lore as a launching pad to like is I think by like the third page everyone will be like oh yeah i know who these guys are i know their powers i know like you know i know where the writer and artist have gone with them let's go you know it's uh it's not like you've got to spend like you know a whole yeah um comic to try and introduce them and and, you know i love that like i i you know i remember the the number one of like a lot of comics like um you know it's like yeah it's 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 interesting how simplistic like they can be and then you get into like x-men number like 311 or uncanny x-men or x-force and it's like oh dude like uh so what team's cable in now oh my god like oh is, <laughs> uh, uh is wolverine has he got bones has he got adamantium oh i don't know like it's 
yeah but once that said once you're like knowledgeable about that law it's incredible I, I i i i love geeking out and i'm really hoping um kevin feige feige looks at it's one of those things that i read and don't say a lot um i really hope he does x-men next because i just like i mean i love like you know the first few brian singer um x-men movies and then a couple of the other later ones but like I just want to see, I want to see X-Men get the Marvel, you know, um, the, the, the Avengers treatment, you know, and, um, well, it'll come in be... the next few years. I know that oh, we're, we'll be getting Blade soon. I think Ghost Rider is rumored to be a part of that. So big, big thing for you. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, Fantastic Four is coming. And then I think X-Men after that, X-Men hasn't been officially announced, but we know they own the property. So, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it kind of started with Blade oddly, didn't it? That was like that it sort of like started that sort of like the oh yeah well marvel marvel the the publishing company went bankrupt for a while and they had to yes. sell off their stuff and that's the their revival started once we started getting things like blade yeah i remember reading in like um you know um in marvel comics the uh, comics what do they call it like the pen there'd always be like a stan lee sort of like um editorial page and um, I remember, like, uh, re- yeah, there was always like um, they were talking about an X Men uh, movie. Stan Soapbox. That's right. And yeah. been, I remember like reading about an X Men movie in the early '90s, and just like, hell yeah, this is. Uh... And I'm sort of, I'm sort of glad it didn't happen then because I don't think the technology, honestly, was up to making an X Men movie then. No, for sure. Um, and uh, it was sort of like the later when CG sort of got good, and then you see like, I guess Blade looks a bit dated now, but at the time it was badass. You know, it was perfect. It's still um, badass yeah um <laughs> and then like you know you have the early you know early x-men movies which were like the, i think the second one was my favorite uh and then like you know the spider same raimi spider-man movies which oh, were great and yeah, uh you know it's sure. uh yeah i mean like i don't know i i'm yeah whenever i see like an, you know a character like cable pop up or like bishop with as an um there's like the days of future past x-men movie i'm always like oh yeah yeah that's it because like you know when people get really excited about an obscure avengers character that's like how i am with the x-men and i'm sort of like aware of the avengers characters just from from you know crossovers like i said but um yeah hey no, no man i'm, I'm with you some of my favorite uh marvel characters are x-men uh firestar from the the old spidey Iceman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then gambit is one of my favorites oh, man when are they gonna nail a gambit movie they they hey, jason he... if you haven't seen it some du- <laughs> some dude made a fan-made gambit oh, film, really? short film it's, it's over on youtube look it up it's fucking fantastic uh uh you, you, you watch that and and, and yes, i know it would, i will yeah take take a while watch it after you watch it message me on twitter because it's fucking phenomenal anyways right. um Monsters of Metal edited Indium. man after everything you've told me fucking perfect house for it because uh, I love Incendium. I actually, before uh, they started publishing stuff, or or at least I started buying stuff through Opus. I was buying because they have like the the merch rights for things like uh, Bill and Ted. Yeah. So I I have like the Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure figure. I still need to get the their Bogus Journey figures. They have like art prints of uh really cool art prints of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. There's like this yeah. purple and pink one that's I I, and then I have all of the enamel pins. Uh, man, I there I know that Opus is doing uh, or just wrapped up recently or will wrap up soon. Bill and Ted Roll the Dice uh ongoing series. They also have that they're doing that Evanescence comic. Yes, which is fantastic. So man, you found the perfect home, and I can't believe the amount of support that you have there. I saw those 
those uh animated images of the covers which will look fucking phenomenal and uh it's it's the best spot man and and i really wish you the best with this with this uh with this comic and for those uh listening at home uh pre-order this book through your local comic shop especially indie publishers like opus guys don't just think that this book is going to be at your local comic shop on the shelf things that sell easily are like dc and marvel the indies need your support go to your comic book shop and tell them you want to order monsters of metal from opus publishing you have to do that so they get enough copies for you to buy hell yeah (laughs) thank you so much no man it's uh it's it's um it's fantastic and yeah you're right they do great things I, i just lumping a part of it and like you know it's sort of like you know it's one of those things that i never really imagined doing but then doing it i'm like oh my god i'm like i'm like 11 again and it's um yeah i mean Le- lexi's fantastic and like incendium and opus are great and just uh yeah i mean you know support them as much you know if you're a comic fan or a horror fan or a metal fan i mean it's um yeah it's there's never been a better time for, for um for, for people you know yeah, and if you're curious about the uh, potential film coming down the line, uh, Jason probably can't say a word about it because <laughs> that's how those things work, guys. Uh, it's gonna but, be great, though. It's uh, yeah, no, but I think people are gonna. Um, it's it's amazing, like already like this much support for a film, like and we're just you know, but like I think uh, I think people are gonna love it. <laughs> Absolutely, and if if you want an idea of what the film's gonna look like before he starts doing filming and interviews for the film when it when that comes out or or when that project gets off the ground uh your best bet guys read the comic yeah (laughs) (laughs) for sure well uh thanks so much for coming on jason we absolutely appreciate it's been a fantastic conversation uh other than monsters of metal is there anything else that you have coming up or in the works that you want to promote really quick um, I mean, there's, there's, there's this stuff, but I, I, I can't really talk about it now, but yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm always busy and always, I don't know, like I, I find inspiration in weird places and, you know, sometimes just writing short stories and uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, like who knows, um, you know, it, what'll come out next or, but, you know, I'm just incredibly, um, honored that, you know, to have anyone's support of just one person, like watches my movie or you know i think that the greatest thing for me is like i get a lot of messages like from people that suffer from like depression or like, I, I miss them i was having a bad day and i watched your goofy heavy metal movie and it cheered me up and that's for me that's like that's my life you know i i live for that stuff because it's like you know life's so short and if you can just like provide someone like a brief escape or some a little bit of entertainment and and just you know i that that means the world to me and that's you know so yeah i'm incredibly thankful for anyone's support and yeah and and thank you so much for having me on it's been um great chatting with you chad awesome all right guys we will be right back and that was my conversation with jason lay howden i'd like to take one last opportunity to thank jason for coming onto the show and proactively reaching out to me over on twitter That conversation went far longer than I had anticipated, and thank God, because that's always a good thing. I strive with every individual I talk to to try and quickly shake off the pedantic Q&A style of interviewing and make it into a conversation. But a truly good conversation requires both parties, and Jason was most assuredly up to the task, as you can tell. 
I had an absolute blast speaking with him about his industry and its modern context, as well as his first foray into the world of comic book publishing. To that end, remember the order date for Monsters of Metal is fast approaching, so ring up your local comic book shop and let them know you want Monsters of Metal from Opus Comics. What's next on the show? Well, my friends, you don't have to wait long because the next episode will be in your favorite podcatching feed within the next couple of days as I interview the team behind the upcoming Scout Comics one-shot, Ghost Planet. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow the show, you can follow it on Twitter at creativecredit underscore. You can also send an email to the new dedicated podcast email, creativecreditpod at gmail.com. I'm proud to say you can find Creative Credit on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And until next time, remember, Marvel or DC, television or film, print or digital, we're all comic fans. And as David Bowie once said, go a little bit out of your depth. And when you don't feel that your feet are quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. Mm-hmm.